Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Jobs Blow podcast with Brianna and Josh. The podcast with for dreamers with day jobs. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me. That was good. We're so glad to be back after a year, and we're looking forward to sharing even more inspiring stories as well as perspectives on surviving life in, during, around, and now after a pandemic. Yes, Josh, because after more than a year later, it's still a mad, mad world, and dreamers like ourselves are struggling more than ever to make a go of it. But Enough about that. Let's talk about uh, where you are. What's going on with you? Oh, I'm good. How are you? You feeling good? I'm good. I'm double vaxxed. I got both my doses, so I'm covered, but I'm still... Isn't it such a conversation starter now? You get vaxxed. What do you need? One shot in, two shots in, no shots in? Yeah, all shots in, covered. I I feel good, but I'm still still masking up because, (laughs) you know, you just never know. Um, But what's new with you? Anything? Right, right. It's such a... Well, it's like, uh, it was nice today. Like really, like, I know that's so lame, like nice weather wise, but uh, we literally just sat outside Queens on the street. Like there was, uh, we didn't go to the park or playground or anything. It was just like, I just want to stand outside, you know, but it is interesting. Like the, the, the self-consciousness of the mask now, like you're outside, no one's around. You kind of pull it down. Right. And then like someone walks by and you're like, Oh, I got to throw it back on my face. You know, even if you're not even near them at all, just so what you don't get well, a no, look I, I accidentally will pull it down and will stare at someone as I walk by and then realize they were looking at me because I had it down and I was just like, oh, shit. Ah, that's mad funny. Yeah. Well, it's good. It's a good we're in spring and it's uh, it's hopefully, you know, some of this is going to be a little more freedom for us and summer rolls around. Although in Texas, what they just like totally said no mass, 100 percent occupancy. The Texas Rangers had like a full on packed stadium for like opening day. Like, okay, guys, well, they, don't Texas even try. Must, they must feel bad because apparently they're not one of the top states that have the, like, really bad... Uh, Variant? Variant? Yeah. Well, no, apparently New York, Michigan, New Jersey. Right. Um, if there's another state, Pennsylvania. Yeah. We're, like, the worst states. Uh, so maybe Texas is one, wants us to hold their beer. And they just... Right. <laughs> I don't know. Well, well, cool. I wonder yeah. what's going on in Oklahoma, but that'll well, that'll anyway. come up now in our in yeah. our chat for today. So anyway, today's guest I'm very yes. excited about because so am I. So here's the backstory. I watched this new documentary on Net or Hulu called Which you do, let's just clear it up for everyone. You are the documentary tour. I, I love you documentaries. Watch them all. Yes. So I watched this Kid Ninety documentary um, by Soleil Moon Fry. And I went into it thinking I'm gonna see all these amazing young Hollywood celebrities, you know, on camera doing fun right. things. And it actually turned into it got a little dark. There was there is some hard stuff in there. And yeah. um, one of the interesting things was her friendship with Danny Boy O'Connor from um, House of Pain, which um, I didn't know about. And th- at the end, they reunited and they're sitting on this porch um, talking. And the whole time I'm looking at the porch going, that house looks really familiar to <laughs> right. me. I've never been to Tulsa, Oklahoma. How do I know that porch? Right. So I quickly Googled, uh, where is Danny boy? What's he doing? Why is he on this porch that I think I know? And lo and behold, 
he has um, bought and redone the right. house that was the centerpiece to the film, The Outsiders. Right. Okay? So Amazing. I got super excited because I'm a huge Outsiders fan. Sure. I reached, I, I checked out his Instagram. I saw his posts about the museum. The house is now a museum, a tribute to The Outsiders right. movie. Can you, can you give and everyone so, a quick background on what The Outsiders is in case they didn't grow up obsessed with, well, with I, uh, if you, if you don't Ralph Macchio and, and I don't, every... I don't have time for you. Actually. <laughs> um, I'll let I'll let him tell the story because okay. he's our guest today. Because I reached out to him on Instagram. I said I really want you to do our podcast. I think your story is amazing. So um, let's welcome him to our show. Hello, Danny. Thank Danny you, Danny Boy O'Connor, House of Pain. Yes. Yes. What's going on, man? Good to good to uh, meet you guys. Good to be seen and uh, all that good stuff. This is super exciting for me, too. I mean, look, I'm an Outsiders fan. I'm a House of Pain fan, jump around, obviously, but I'm just a Tulsa, Oklahoma fan. So, But we're just, also very much that. in the same age group, which is rare and elusive these days. <laughs> right. I, think, I'm the kid. I mean, I'm closer to your age, Danny, than, than Josh, a little closer. Mm. But, I mean, <laughs> I grew up with, when you said what a super fan you were of the Outsiders, I mean, my room was I'm sure we were different fans. My room was covered sure, no doubt. I get it. <laughs> with all the boys. Um, but anyway, thank you again for taking the time to join us and talk mm -hmm. about, um, as we mentioned before, this this show is really about talking through your career journey, and you have had quite a career journey. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, I'd love to start, you know, from the beginning. But before I do, I wanted to ask you what it was like seeing that old video footage in that documentary yeah i mean it was terrifying the the thought of watching that documentary uh soleil she uh, texted me a link maybe 72 hours before she said here's the you know here's the link to see it if you want to watch it before it's premiere and i was like yeah sure yeah i'll check it out but i was terrified because i didn't know what she had because again you know at that point i was a drug addict at the end of all of this stuff and it was getting bad for huh. me and the last thing i wanted to see was you know myself looking gaunt or talking crazy or you right. know i i obviously wasn't in the editing bay when she was editing all of the footage so all i knew from soleil was that you know we were really tight in the 90s she was like you know by by my side from 92 to 96 and some way or another uh 96 97 started to get bad and by 98 i was i was gone and so right. i hadn't talked to her in 20 years uh i think a few years back maybe four years ago she follows me on instagram which like i was like uh oh <laughs> so, <laughs> which is a good thing you know because i'm sober now and i thought okay you know enough times passed but i was also like uh oh and then she said hey long time stranger how are you and you know we slowly started talking and then all of a sudden she hit me with hey uh, I found my diaries and all of these videotapes and you're, you're in it a lot. And I'm thinking of doing a documentary and I was like, uh, oh. <laughs> wait a sec. Did she, you got it. She had to have had some kind of premonition, right? From that age to be recording uh, videos and voicemails and, and all of this and pictures, right? Like think about like the Billie Eilish one that's out right now. Like they had a whole team following her around. Like that was yeah. pre-produced. She had to have that foresight at the time I mean, right? you gotta ask yeah. her because i mean she brought to my knowledge when i first met her and she brought a camera she i remember her saying like sanyo or whoever it was i believe it was sanyo it was this camera where you could look into it it looks like a thick ipad 
right? And nothing was out like that. That was prior to that. You had to look in a little hole and point it where you were right. going. So right. she had one that you could hold up and look, and it was cool. And somehow or another, she got a free camera from them to document like Hollywood stuff and, and do a commercial. Right. And then they would give her like cameras. So wow. she started bringing it wherever she went. I don't know that she brought it around for eight years, but she brought it around for a year or two, maybe right. a year, but it was the right year to do it because right. it was like the era of like, like everybody in that documentary, um, with the, with, with the exception of like the kids in skate, you know, the skate kids from kids in New right. York, like a lot of that was like 92, 93, at choice events, she would bring it out. And so we were all running in, a, in, in, in the same circles in Hollywood. I mean, right. anybody in her documentary could be seen at the Roxbury on any given Friday night or Saturday night in Los Angeles. So she brought that out. She got really incredible footage. The part we didn't know is that, or I didn't know that she was writing a, a thorough diary. So that's where I think to me, and then let's, let, let me not, you know, let me put this out there. Her brother, Mino, was also uh, a, a, an incredible actor. Right. And was a, and it still is a, you know, a highly regarded photographer. So he was also taking a ton of photos in Hollywood at the time. So you're looking at a few different archives just that are in the, you know, the, in the family that are being yeah. pulled together. So they just had a, they, they had a lot to work with. Uh, my hat's off to her. I can't imagine. I mean, I just went through some photos right now mm -hmm. to, to reminisce and it's, it's tough to do really for, you know, to just, to go through it because there's a lot of uh, pain and, and, and emotions tied into old photos. And sometimes I just mm -hmm. wish that, you know, that they just stay in the box. And, and then there's some sweet ones, but right. I went through a few. I can't imagine like dissecting my whole teenage life and having thorough notes, thorough video and, and, uh, and a staff photographer in the form of my brother. Yeah. To work with. I mean, well, she, but, she's a tough cookie and, well, you know hats off to her well right. and, and to what you said before that she saved voicemails on that's like crazy. on answering machines not yeah, that's creepy. like i mean that is but she <laughs> also her her mom if i'm correct from the documentary was she was an agent right she was involved in like uh, i don't know if she was an agent but she was always involved in hollywood i know she worked on productions she worked on she was like you, you know, she was, a, she still is a, she was, they had this really earthy, beautiful family. And, and if you go to their house at any time, even right. when she was on, you know, top of the world, they were, you wouldn't know that any of them had been any in the entertainment business. They were all complimentary, great to be around, made you feel like you were the star. Wow. Uh, there was just, you can't find a, 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 there's nothing I could say. There's a, there's no dirt under their nails. They're like right. the greatest people on the planet. And I think that's why people are so, um open and vulnerable with with them and mm -hmm. in particular soleil but yes yeah, so their mom is like you know salt of the earth hardworking, worked it at, at some form or another in in the hollywood picture business right. or stuff like that for a long time and i think well, her it, dad was an actor and her brother's an actor she's an actor so it's just right. in the it's in the blood it's certain kind of person too, right? Like you're saying like that, that other people can open up around, but also on top of it, if you think about it in today's world, like if, if you look at every video on your phone, nothing is more than what? 45 seconds a minute. Like nobody's yeah. walking around for five minutes and just being like, Oh, we're at a party. And I'm, hey, it's all quick clips. If you tried to put all that together, it wouldn't make any sense. So the, yeah. the fact that she's walking around with just this camera rolling, you know, in long, in long swaths like that is actually, you know, quite sure. No. And in a time when nobody was doing it, I mean, right. I, I think it was Charles Barkley that said, "Never has so many, so so 
so many videos documented so unimportant amount of history in one you know like we have right. we documented we, we take photos of what we eat every day oh yeah, yeah. no i thought of i thought of that yesterday when i passed a guy taking a picture of his ice cream cone i was like <laughs> really really what but, are you doing with that but i, I wanna... know listen you know it's unfortunate and it goes back to the job thing i mean if you don't exist on the internet and you're not a brand do you really exist i mean exactly. i hate that i fucking hate it. all of that but wait you i imagine don't... I don't, I don't wanna... have kids, but I couldn't imagine having kids and and having to yell at them saying like, like dummy, but yeah. you, they're not dumb. They're, they're, they're participating in trying to get likes and it's just crazy. Yeah. So it's she unhealthy. did it at a time where nobody even could foresee that it would amount to anything. She was early on all of that stuff. Right. So yeah, brilliant. Good on that. brilliant. But, but I don't want to talk too much about her. I want to talk about sure. you. <laughs> so let's talk about that. You were saying before when you met her was kind of your first single had just released when you were in House Around of Pain. Around that time, yeah. Right? Uh -huh. So um, take us through that time because you started House of Pain with two guys you went to high school with. And, Something like that. Yeah, and so I, we, started, we started House of Pain. Go ahead, tell me the rest. No, but I also <laughs> believe that you were in trouble for credit card fraud at the time <laughs> no i was never in trouble for it i was doing quite well at it so <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll just bring you back and catch you up to speed so i grew up my mother my father went to prison when i was two months old oh. we got thrown out of our apartment in brooklyn uh, uh, and we moved in with the grandparents in staten island my mother worked as a key punch operator at chase manhattan bank at nights Right. This is pre-computers, so anybody who doesn't know what that is, I wouldn't know it only except for my mother was in the business. They were basically index cards with divots punched into it, and they were ex you know they were they would you would push those in a computer, and that was the software at the time. Wow. So a key punch operator would type, and it would translate onto those index cards, and that would you'd put into a computer to tell it. My uncle had moved to California because there was a, the, the, any growth industry. Uh, you know, you, if you're interested, you would follow. If you're you know you'd go to mecca if you wanted to you know pray right. to whatever to, so she she came to la following him to to be uh, a programmer right. and so um she was always overwhelmed by life she was always up to her ass and alligators with the bills right with, uh, my stepfather was an alcoholic and an addict and died at 35 of liver cirrhosis as soon as we got to California, which is super Jesus. young to die of drinking. Yeah, it is. And so she had two kids, and so it was a handful. Um, why I tell you that is to tell you I watched her every morning wake up at 5 in the morning uh, to get ready, 6 in the morning to, to make breakfast and wake try to wake us up so that we could be out by 7. And she could be on her way, making sure that we did that. She resented work and everything about it. She'd come home completely zapped out and have to cook dinner or and would go right to bed. And, and I saw that early on. I said, that there's one thing I will never do, and that would be the first thing. Right. Uh, the second part of my story is, is I have probably a learning disability, a short attention span, and I'm easily frustrated. And so it's hard to get a proper education, especially when nobody cares at home if you're getting that education. Right. And I'm interested in arts and the stuff that is not really an education you could get at, you know, regular parochial or, or, or you know, because I went to military schools and, and shit like that. Then my mom trying to, you know, it just wasn't for me. So I wasn't, I was a horrible student as well. Uh, right around the time The Outsiders came out, it changed my life because I went into that movie and I came out a changed kid. Yeah. Why it changed me was because I saw basically what I felt inside on the screen for the first time. I was a native New Yorker who was living in 80s California where it was all 
Valley Girl and everybody had, mm-hmm. you know, top of the line clothing and, and Walkmans and were promised a, a rabbit cabriolet convertible at their 16th birthday. And none of that was promised and none of that was coming to me. And mm-hmm. so I always felt less than and, and separate and different than. Uh, and so when I saw that between the between hip hop coming to the forefront and and the outsiders that I melded both of those worlds together and made an identity from that. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately for me, the this another great movie, the 80s that I loved that I mistaked as a, a mis- was mistaken as a documentary was Scarface. And when I saw oh. Scarface, <laughs> great. I thought this is incredible. And I thought this is a this is really a blueprint for the kind of work that I think that I'm probably <laughs> capable of doing. Yes. And the kind of money I'd like to make. Wait, that, chain, so, that chainsaw scene, even that didn't set you Hey, <laughs> you want to hear something funny? This is just a, a, that guy, Al Israel, rest in peace. He, we did a movie scene together on a movie that Soleil Moonfire written, produced, and directed. What? Wow. And Al Israel was my buddy, buddy. And he, you know, of course I had this stuff, but I don't have it with me right now. <laughs> that guy used to come to our clubhouse and hang out. But that's a whole other story. So I saw Scarface and, and shit like that. And I thought, man, this is good. Uh, I gravitated towards hip hop because mm-hmm. I was a native New Yorker. I grew up on my mother's Motown records. And so when I moved to L.A., they were calling me Disco Dan. Those were fighting words when right. you're 12, 11. I right. spent a lot of time in the roller rink. And that's where you hear a lot of good funk and soul music. And so I do. See, I, I do see a lot of roller skating on your Instagram. Yeah, I'm still skating, I love it. Pandemic brought it on out. It's been 30 years it. now I'm back in it to win it so well you you were you were a brooklyn boy right is that what it Mm -hmm. was queens or brooklyn Mm -hmm. brooklyn so i was born in maimonides Mm -hmm. um i spent a lot of time in bay ridge because i have friends out there a group called lords of brooklyn and my man caves and his family so i go out there a lot but uh, i spent Mm -hmm. equal uh, more time in staten island you know the first six years there so cool um that being said by the time I hit high school, I, I couldn't wait to just not, you know, I, to, all I was really doing was extracurricular stuff. And by that, I mean, I was selling a little dope. I never did dope. Hip hop is one of those weird things. And as I look back as a 52 year old, mm-hmm. you know, there's so many lovable parts of it and so many commendable things. But street culture, man, is it's like they don't we don't shun prostitution, pimping, drug dealing, uh, murder, gangsters. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we idolize that shit. I mean, any any of your favorite rapper right. at some point looked up to some drug deal in Harlem for his style, for his swagger, for his everything. Right. And so that's the, that's the downside of, of, of that kind of messaging. The upside is, is, you know, being from a broken home, I saw what I was looking for in the outsiders, where it was a band of brothers who didn't have the family unit. So they, mm-hmm. they formed that, uh, outside of their house, the outsiders. And this is how gangs start. This is how graffiti crew start or breakdancing right. crew. So I love the hip hop that it was inclusive as far as like, it was something you didn't do by yourself. A lot of dudes that I knew were trying to play guitar. They'd spend eight hours in their room all day long learning their pentatonic scales. I was not interested in doing that. I wanted to be out at the club, hanging with you guys, cr- working on this shit together. So I never had an intent to do a, a nine to five job. I, I, I worked at a movie theater. I worked at a chicken joint. I worked at McDonald's. So I didn't go back to juvenile hall because they put me back in juvenile hall anyway. Uh, not because I worked at McDonald's, but for, for other reasons, but I've had a few menial bullshit jobs and I worked at a record store, which also changed my life. And it raised my musical IQ through the roof. This is again, pre-internet. So it wasn't like you could just 
go in a record store and dissect it the way I did when I worked there. So I was in there promoing every album I could, opening everything up, learning about things I didn't want to know about and, and seeing right. movies that I didn't know I would love. And I had free reign on this whole record store. And that also changed my life. But when you're talking about credit cards and all that, there was a point in time where I was, uh, there was a crew of people that, figured out how to reprogram the strips on the back of a credit card and i was in that crew of people who did that i was known for that and you know we would we would just that's what we did we did uh we would go into stores and buy high high dollar items and then return them for credit slips and, and keep some of it and return the and trade sell the clips to you i'd sell you 500 dollars worth of stuff for uh, fry's audio or for wherever right. and you give me 250 and then you go get you what you want at half price so we did a lot of that like a wow. lot of that and so i was also dabbling in in a, in in a little bit of drug sales never doing drugs at that part and uh and what year is that? Like generally, uh, uh, officer, I don't remember. I'd have to. Look at my- <laughs> <laughs> but so- is that wait? Is that pre-Soleil days? So that oh, would have been yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's this like is all pre-Soleil. Stuff, so right. let me yeah. let me just tell you. So listen. So all of this is going nowhere except for jails, institutions, and death. Right. Right. And then I start a band. I ran into Everlast. We had we had run up we had grew up in the same neighborhoods he went to the same school as me but not at the same time as i did we mm-hmm. we kind of all were not really in school we all had like a school that we were supposed to go to mm-hmm. he went to summer school at taft i actually <laughs> was supposed to go to taft but we really didn't uh, like we were classmates right uh but we were a handful of white guys in a in a, in a hip-hop uh, world that you could look across the, the the spot and see three of us if we were lucky right. so i always knew he was a rapper i was a fan of his first record um and you know he knew me and i knew him and and i ran into him one day and and, and i and i called him a week later and uh he was getting thrown out of his house and uh, mm-hmm. i said come live with me i got a, i got a room you can stay in and this is when i was doing the credit card stuff so we were, we were killing <laughs> it and uh he started looking through the collection of, of of music that i had procured from the job before that at the record store and right. thousands of tapes and, and cds i mean i had helped myself to them that as well right and uh he was like man this is incredible and we started talking about music and then we decided we were going to start a band because i had a lot of knowledge on other music that he didn't he was very finite with the he knew classic rock and he knew hip-hop to my understanding maybe he knew more i i but for me i knew a lot about punk rock and obscure music and and new wave and i just i was a lot more multifaceted and i was also a graphic mm-hmm. artist and, and this down the third so music saves me from what's gonna what's the impending doom when you when you do when you're selling drugs and you're doing crime and you're doing shit like mm-hmm. that it's it's inevitable it's going to end bad but for me music interrupted that right and i didn't pay the consequences and the and 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 the repercussions were yet to come uh i want to preface it by saying they came and they came at a time <laughs> life has a <laughs> they hit hard right. they hit hard so, so oh, danny, go yes. brianna go so danny um one thing i found interesting because i never knew what house of pain where your name came from yeah. i find it interesting what i read today was that it was from the movie doctor is it doctor yeah Michelle? that's not true so it's not true no it's not true it, so it, it, it's 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 not not true either but i didn't know anything about that movie i went to an oingo boingo concert and they hadn't played <laughs> in in a few years i was a massive fan of oingo boingo i saw them at the greek theater and they hadn't been on stage in three years because they were having a, a dispute with their record company. So they right. decided to play a longer show than 
than, than was allowed at the Greek. Uh, the union people who were stagehands were going to walk off if they went any further because the Greek didn't want to pay them. Long story longer, they closed the set with a song that they have called No Spill Blood. And No Spill Blood is a song about doc, the island of Dr. Moreau. Uh, I didn't know that, right. but in it says, what do you do when you break the law? You go back to the house of pain. And if you hear the song, it starts out like a scratch. Uh, he's doing it with his mouth. It it's just a funky, like driving bass line. And it's got this weird scratchy sound in the back. And he just keeps, you, you, you'll hear it. You listen to it after we're done and you'll be like, oh shit, I get it. And the name just stuck. I was like, house of pain. This is also in an era where a lot of groups, if you were hip hop, Right. It was like MC so and so, and we I didn't we didn't want that, you know. Right. And that was great that us and Cypress Cypress Hill sound like an orange company to me, like they would sell you like <laughs> you know Cypress Hill it's citrus, funny. you know. And people didn't know if it was Cypress Hill in New York, even though the uh, mugs is from New York. Right. There's a place in New York, the Cypress Hill is in Queens or something. Cypress it's Hill? Brooklyn, isn't it Brooklyn? Brooklyn? I think it is. Yeah. So again so the, the name was something he just liked and but it, it literally came from an oingo boingo song but yes the oingo boingo song is about the other than dr moreau which is a, a, a bigger thing it's, it's also perfectly hip-hop and punkish to In come the same, out at that yeah, time you know it sounds and really we started the band the basically once we started talking about a band i mean in the same way suicidal tendencies had like a gang from right. Venice that would go to every show. I was in a gang. So we were, the gang was hanging out with us and all of a sudden Everlast had a group. He wasn't solo and he had a, a gang of 15 Irish guys running around with him, ready to punch everybody in the face at, 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 at his back and call. So, so it was just a, it was a weird time. Uh, never thought I'd have to work a job after that. We make a record. The record goes right. to the, you know, through the roof. We all get rich. Um, right. And I think this is never going to end. Uh, how right. wrong I was, as you know. <laughs> well, well, that's the thing, too, is like, you know, I, Jump Around was was just beyond a, a radio play song. It was iconic. I mean, it's like... It's an anthem. It's an anthem. It defines the almost... The, it's one of the, like, 20 songs that defines the genre of that time, you know? I always kind of joke around, but, like, I say all the time, like, if my dad knew that song, then you knew that that song was, like, epic. Yeah, because, well, you it know, was in that Mrs. Was a, Doubtfire. I mean, it yeah. was it, you know, it was it's it a bar mitzvah song. Sorry to say, but it's like, no, you know, it's in every sporting event you go to every, yeah. every party. I, I, all I want to do is escape my reality by watching the Yankees. And then, and then, and, and right. I'm glad that Jack White has kind of taken over where we left off because they play more white stripes now than they do right. jump around, but I'm happy with it. Um, but so yeah, it, I mean, yeah. I want to tell you another thing too, and it goes to the job thing. So House of Pain saves me from working a real job, but I right. end up paying the price ultimately because in, as the end of the decade started to come uh, around, the band fell apart. Um, I got a, I became a drug addict. So the same shit I was out there selling, uh, different form. I, I was selling Coke back in the day and, and ecstasy. Um, I ended up getting hooked on methamphetamines. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, you know, I ended up getting arrested and, and you get in court cases right. and becoming a full-blown addict. And when a band ends, you know, my ego, I was an egomaniac with low self-esteem and I wasn't fit for any job. I, you know, I was telling you I had to work at McDonald's in my teens to stay from going back to juvenile hall. Right. They wouldn't have me at McDonald's if they saw me. If I went in there, they'd laugh at me. They'd probably yeah. give me a free cheeseburger and tell me to pound sand. Yeah. So it was a real bad position to be in and so um yeah my life things weren't looking good at all mm -hmm. and then i end up getting sober around the year 2000 mm -hmm. uh, i'm just giving you the elevator pitch 
I stayed sober the first year and got a solo record deal. Right. They funded me about half a million dollars, year one and a half. By year two, I'm hip slick and sick again. I got a new car, new girl, a new watch. Mm. I start to think, hey, maybe I didn't have a, dr a drinking and drugging problem. Right. Maybe it was just drugs. By year three, I tell myself, ah, drinking's fine. I just got to stay away from drugs. And I went and had a drink. And that began a three-year three downward spiral. I ended up living right. in an abandoned warehouse, losing most of the teeth in my mouth, warrant for my arrest again, right. a, a suspended driver's license. Car was impounded and auctioned off because I was afraid to pick it up because there were drugs in the car. And it was real life or death. And, and again, you know, I've said it 10 times this week doing interviews, but it was. It was I was suicidal and homicidal, and I didn't know which one was going to, you know, catch was, which was well, catch me first. On, so, that, on that note, Danny, I do want to congratulate you because I do – aren't you going on 16 years sobriety? Yeah, on the 15th, on the 15th of this month. In yeah. yeah. Eight days, Congrats. Have, uh, 16 consecutive years. Thank you. I appreciate that's it. That's amazing. No, that's I, huge. Uh, and you're not the first person we've no, had on – no, on this show who who was – had a terrible drug problem who's come back and made a success of himself. Um, we had right. a, a gentleman – who is a, owns a very successful catering business here in New York, who was also living in a warehouse. So, like, it's it can be done, and uh, it's 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 to be commended. Yeah, no, I mean that's why I do a lot of these, you know, the, the, these podcasts and stuff like that. Just if, if one person hears it and, and needs to go, like, wait, I used to drink with that dude songs, or I know mm -hmm. that guy, that guy could do it, you know, because you know I couldn't imagine being. Danny boy from House of Pain and Irish and, and not being able to drink. Right. I, I couldn't think of a more emasculating con you know, way to go through life. Yet I'm more powerful than I ever was. And I realized that I don't need a drink to, to, to make anything happen or make me who I am. Yeah. I just thought it's, it's not a, and I like to tell you, my brother, I have an older brother who has 22 or 23 years sober. Now we got sober right. at the same time. Cool. He just did not relapse at year three. Like I did. So right. life changing stuff, but I do want to tell you this. So Getting sober again, you know, uh, and after relapsing, I, I said, listen, I, I, the, first, the first sobriety, I really, my secret was I wanted my stuff back. So I thought if I just got sober and been a good little boy, God would bring back all of the, the, the stuff that House of Pain had provided at one point. Right. Uh, and, and it almost kind of did, and that didn't help me. So this time I was like, if all, all I really want, if all I get out of sobriety is sobriety, it's got to be enough. Okay. I just want a shot at a new life. And so I get this new shot at a life. And then I'm like, what am I supposed to be doing with myself? <laughs> right. It's so weird. Right. Now I'm, I'm in my thirties. I'm 35 years old, newly sober. I have the, the education of a, like a ninth grader. I have mm -hmm. like the discipline of like, uh, I mean, I'm just, you, yeah, but you know, have the I, life you, you do. I mean, you tasted success. At the, no, at the, I mean, like at the highest levels. And, yeah. and then at yeah, 35, I don't even know how to begin again. And what I do is just put one step in front of the other one day at a time. Right. And I just stay in the moment. And that's the concept of, of the 12 step program. And it really works. If I worry about tomorrow or worry about yesterday, I'm, I'm lost. I just stay in today and do the next indicated thing. And it took me a long time to get to where I'm at now. And, and we'll get to what I'm doing. Uh, when I was about 17, my mother told me something, and I have to tell you guys this, and it's perfect for what we're talking about. And it stuck with me. I never forgot it. She said, Danny, do what you love and the money will follow. And me being a sarcastic little prick, I said, well, what if the money doesn't follow, Ma? She goes, then at least you spent your fucking life doing what you love to do. Right. And then she slammed the door in my face. Right. And I thought, that's doable. It's yep. super well, simple. And then and see, 
and seeing her works. and seeing her come in and work the oh, way you said, you still, were like, still, if anybody knows that, she does. But so, then at this, but at the same time, Danny, you did what you loved when you were in the group, right? And yeah, but that's a that's a that's a series of like chances, and uh, it just you if, if it was that easy to replicate, that that's the hard thing about bands. It's like, dude, right. uh, you know, Jay Z said it to Damon Dash in a song. He took a shot at him. He said, you know, he said, motherfucker, saying they made hoes. Hove said, like, okay, make another Hove. Like, you know, right. if you can make me, a, a, if you made Jay-Z, make another Jay-Z then, motherfucker. Like, straight up. Right, well, but that's hit, my it point. Hit hard because it's like, yeah. Damon Dash says he made Jay-Z, so make another one. What's the problem then? Why do you keep going around telling right. everybody that you right. made Jay-Z and he's the bad guy? Maybe he is the bad guy, but if it's so easy to make somebody, do it again. When you're in a band, it's very hard. That's why the fighting starts. Right. You know, Everlast wrote the song. I created the, the concept, the, the logo, the name, the right. image. The gang was mine. The style was mine. He had lyrical style and he is a genius at, at, at music. Muggs right. did the tracks. Muggs is a, so you just can't make another one. And that therein lies the problem. And then to make matters worse, to compound it for me, Everlast goes on to go solo and he gets a Grammy and sells a million records and, and has a hit called What It's Like. And our DJ right. goes and, and joins Limp Bizkit and, and sells a zillion records. Yeah. And I'm like, what's wrong with me? Am I fundamentally that fucked up that I'm not, I'm like worthless and all I'm going to do is, is spend my life on my knees as a drug addict? Right. So believe me, there was a lot, a lot of stuff that I had to go through to come out the other side of that. And so right. when my mother told me that as a kid, it always resonated with me. And on this time, slowly I started to build shit back together. And there was a series of like a lot of false starts. I started, uh, I jumped into a clothing company that was failing. I brought it up to a couple million dollar business. Again, we brought it to a couple, you know, my creativity was what they were lacking. They needed a creative director. Right. We turned it around. I started another band, La Coca Nostra. That was going right. to be a massive group. Everlast came back out of the woodworks after 10 years of being in, you know, in community, you know, not in communication with me and joins the band. Right. And I thought, okay, we're back again. And then that thing implodes on us at the time. And so there's been a lot of start and stops, but I met my mother and we don't really talk, you know, like normal son and mother do. We've kind of been estranged for a long time with a little bit of here and there Facebook talk. But I took her to lunch one day and it was when I was like, when things were all kind of looking up again. Right. And she said, middle of the lunch, she says, you know, I still don't understand what you do for a living. You know, you pull up in a new Cadillac and you got a nice watch on and you pay right. the lunches all the time. And I said, Ma, I don't either. I just do the next indicated thing. I just follow my heart. I said, somebody told me a long time ago, you know, do what you love and the money follows. And I responded, if the money doesn't follow, then what? And then you told me, Ma to fucking, you know, then you wake up did at it. 80 doing what you love. And she went white as a ghost. I thought she was going to yeah. burst out into tears. And right. then she said, okay, well, I have to go back to work now. And that was after she had already retired. She had to go back to work and take another job because, wow. you know, it ain't that easy just to retire, you know? Right. And I didn't mean to, to put the knife in like that. Looking back, it may have felt like that to her, but I was really like right. thanking her. Like, you told me this stupid advice. What I come to find out, it wasn't even original advice. It was a fucking book <laughs> on the corner. Uh, it was yeah. like, you right. could buy Atlas Shrug, or right. do what you love and the money will follow, or the joys of cooking, or maybe <laughs> at your supermarket, uh, you know, aisle. Uh, well, maybe, her, maybe, maybe her reaction was that she was surprised that you listened. Right. You know, maybe that was, was what that her too. reaction okay. was. Okay. So let me, I, I, I see that and let me up it one more. <laughs> it's not about listening. It's about doing because right. I'm a, I'm an ideas guy and I have a million great ideas and they're not worth a penny. If you don't put the implemented action necessary and you don't follow it to the, 
you do and give it a hundred percent. Well, it's interesting you say that because that's a common, that's a common answer we get from a lot of guests is like, I have an idea. Don't think about it. Just do, you got to do it, just do it. Right. But what's yeah. different with your story is if you throw in the 12 step program, right. And sure. saying, be in the now, don't worry about tomorrow. One step at a time. It kind of all of a sudden lays out a path, right. Of like how mm. to be doing something, just do the sure. thing in front of you right yeah, now. Absolutely. Five, six, I do the next indicated action. And I, I try not to get caught up into the, into the, into the future. Cause when I, ret- every time I try to future trip, it's, it, it always ends up as me going down in flames and ended up, yeah. you know, burning the thing to the ground and anything that I've ever worried about uh never really came true all of my fears are just that they're fears right uh mm-hmm. and I, I i do my best to i wake up i pray i do a well are you I, religious? I, say I meditate are you religious I, no uh-uh i'm not at all i i'm i, I want to say i'm spiritual and i know you know that's a controversial like uh mm-hmm. i religious religion is for people who are scared to go to hell and and spirituality is for people who already been there. And I know it's a cliche, but it fits me well. Mm -hmm. I pray to the greater good in the world. I don't know if it's Jesus, Buddha or all of, all of them. It doesn't matter to me, Mm -hmm. but I I feel it's just an act of like, I pray to the light. Right. And then I do a gratitude list every day and I share that list with other people. So sometimes it's annoying. Most of the times it's frustrating because I don't want to do it. It's not like I, something changed and i i'm like i gotta do this i want to do this every day let's do this gratitude list guys it's sometimes a pain in the ass it's very redundant you do but if that's the thing you do it anyway and something changes and i don't know why but it's my willingness and in a 12-step program the only thing you have to do perfect is be willing well and and the other thing too is um it gives your life some sort of structure and i feel like Absolutely. You know, when you're when you're in the in the midst of drug addiction, there your life is all over. Right. You're spiraling. There's no structure. But these things give you that structure. Absolutely, it's a grounding. It's like something you can moor your anchor to, or like you can you know you can tie your your you get some stability. And it's it's a, it's a it's a good practice. Uh, I've been doing it for a few years now. Uh, I didn't, it it wasn't early in sobriety that I adapted all of those things and it just works. And sometimes, you know, some days are better than others, but I just keep showing up and I found that there's power in showing up again. I'm a, I have a a great, my problem is I have too many good ideas and not enough Mm -hmm. manpower and and brain power to implement them. Josh is the same way. Josh. Yeah. You got to choose wisely because otherwise you end up (laughs) putting 10% in everything and you lose it all because 10% of something is nothing. I I heard that. I was reading something the other day that said exactly that. If you have too many open projects in front of you, you don't get any of them. You have to pick one focus on. And look, I don't mean to be like, you know, to belittle it at all, but like maybe that's really the secret ingredient is the 12 step kind of mentality that, that no, of course. entrepreneurs you you should be, be thinking about you cannot be too listen you can't be too stupid for the program but you can be too smart for it and i've watched a lot of dudes try to the the, the beautiful thing about 12 steps is anybody can do it it's, yeah. it's again do what you love and the money follows uh keep it simple stupid one day yeah. at a time and yeah. the first one was my mother's from the book, but the others, they, yeah. the, you know, the ones in the 12 steps are, like I said, keep it simple, stupid one day at a time. One day at a time is the greatest concept ever. Uh, you know, you don't stay clean on yesterday's shower. So you take a shower, you do your thing, you have your little routine and you just show up and whatever the day brings, that's all yeah. it is. And if I put my head down at the end of the night, 
sober, I'm, I, I'm ahead of the game. Yeah. And I have a purpose now that I didn't have. My purpose is to stay sober, clean house, and help others. Yeah. Brianna, and he showers every day. We should start yeah, doing that. Yeah, right? That's more than we Barely, but I do. <laughs> I, I, well, I, I, Danny, the one thing, uh, too, about get, even getting to the 12 steps, because I have addiction in my family, is is first you have to really want to to beat the addiction. Absolutely. Like, yeah, and until course. you, and I've also known people, you have to, you know, commit to it before you can even start those steps. And, right. you know, obviously well, that's you got the willingness to- point. I mean, most people don't, and I mean, I'm being cheeky, but nobody comes to a on a, or, or the 12 steps on a, on a winning streak. Okay. No. And you have to really be out of all options, even bad options. Like I was willing to do all of my bad ideas before I was willing to consider life in a 12 step program. And it's not until I surrendered and I was all out of ideas that I was willing to try a new way of life. And it's the greatest thing that ever happened. That's why when people come to me and they're like, my brother's spiraling me out. I'm like, sorry to hear that, but let's stand back and watch. And they're like, what? I'm like, we don't run yeah. into burning buildings, my man. We stand out in the light. And, and if he sees us, he knows where to come, but we, we can't interrupt that because it would be stopping his bottom and he needs to hit bottom before he's going to be willing. And sometimes we die. It really so is. In that, in that regard is, is an intervention, uh, the, the complete opposite of productivity. No, I mean, some people need an intervention. I I've never had one. I, I, when that show came out, I was pissed that nobody did one for me. You know what I mean? I feel like it was, <laughs> but I don't know that the, 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 the success rate is good. There no, that no, show did not have a good. I don't think it had. I, I would well, that, that, that kind of, I mean, I, this might be controversial or not. I don't give a fuck. I, I just feel like, you know what? Until you're ready, it don't matter. Oh, yeah. I, I understand right. that if you don't have a, uh, an addiction and a disease that tells you that you don't have that disease, and then you're a parent. I'm a parent. If I was a parent, I'm not a parent. If I was a parent, I might contradict myself tomorrow if my daughter or son was struggling. Mm-hmm. Because I don't ever want to say I didn't check that off because I had these principles of that I thought. So I understand why parents do it or friends do it. Right. Or families. It's not. I'm not against it. I'm just saying what I've seen all of these years in a, mm-hmm. in, in 12 step and um, is that until the individual is ready mm-hmm. and willing, it doesn't matter. We'd be holding these meetings at, at the at Barclays center. If it was for people who needed it, it's for people mm-hmm. who want it True. and you have to want it as only the dying could, could be want it. And so again, I don't want to turn your podcast into a 12 step meeting. No, I'm just telling you that's my story. Um, we want it. Year yeah. one through ten in AA, mm-hmm. uh, in in a twelve step. I keep saying AA. I feel like we're at an A, but <laughs> I, I'm in a twelve step program. I get a little time. I get a little money. Then the, the the clothing company falls apart, and we go different ways, and we're we're bitter enemies. I get married in it in the program. I get divorced ten years later in the program. Right. Uh, all the while, I'm just trying to figure out what I do, and it just keeps things just keep showing up. Things that I could never plan. Uh, I get 10 years of sobriety and it's the greatest worst day I'd ever had because I won. I couldn't imagine getting 10 hours when I was newly sober, much less right. 10 weeks, 10 months was impossible. And 10 years was like, who are you right now? Right. And my second thought was, dude, you got 10 years. Where's your car, your new car, your two kids, your, your right. five bedroom house and the, the career. Story. Right. Yeah. And I was like, everybody else around here seems to be doing great. And here I am still struggling to pay the bills. Right. And it was by doing little tours, a little, little, it was, I, it was just a, it was bad. And it was only, it was good because I was sober. And so it wasn't bad, but mentally I was like, where's mine? Can I, and 
Can I ask too? Because I want to get to the outsiders part of the story. No, that's what I'm trying to get to. Right, but I have a question first. Just it, it, you know, especially hearing about your growing up, it it almost kind of like seems like the perfect storm for like becoming a good or 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 relevant hip hop artist. Like you just seem to obviously live through you know not easy times, and then to be able to like tap into you know the the style of hip hop in the '90s is just be a hundred. I'm so I'm just saying this. No one gives a shit my opinion, but a hundred times better than anything since that. Especially like right now, just from the style, the the the, sure, the, rhymes, the golden era, what no you were saying, the golden era. So like you just it was like all like a perfect accident, like all at the same time. It seems like like a guy like me grows up in a good family and and doesn't get into any trouble. Like I never could have, I never could have created in that way. Like you did. Is that is that? Is that fair? No, yeah, no, of course. Fair? I mean that 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 all makes sense. But I mean that that's what it was also harder about. Like I said, you just can't recreate that magic. Because you had later. other great yeah. your 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 playlist of songs. Like if you go through them, there's five other hits in there that just never were like of allowed course. to be as big as Jump Around for of whatever. Course. Well, we were never going to make it back Jump Around anyway. I mean, it was a blessing and a curse. I mean, when you have a, right. your hit single is that big. Right. How do you, you can't really top it. So that leaves me at 10 years sober, frustrated, discontent, irritated. I wasn't going to drink. I wasn't going to kill myself, but I wasn't sure what I was doing anymore. And I started to think, you know, I had to get right sized again. And and again, it comes back to thinking outside stuff will fix me. It's really the inside stuff that needs the work. And, um, and so I slowly started to address that. That's when I started implementing being of service. It's a, it's a, it's the, it's the twelve step is giving back. But it's, it's one of those steps everybody goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I always give. You don't really give back though, do you? So I started going to jails and institutions and doing meetings in there. I started secretarying more meetings. I started doing, you know, stuff in the program, and I started giving more of myself. And ironically enough, the more I give, the more it comes back to me. And it, it's a weird little thing, you know. In order to keep this thing, we have to give it away. I started to do, you know, tighten up little things that were a little off, you know, the diet got a little bit better. I cut down a lot of sugar and a lot of too much caffeine. Now I'm not telling you that that stayed that way forever. That arc, it, 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 it's, you know, we won't, but I you, we won't fault you caffeine. <laughs> we no, I know I can't, no, 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 caffeine. not without it, but I had to cut down <laughs> on the amount and the, the, the amount of sugar I was putting in there and, and I had to tighten up a little things and get, get realistic about like what I got, sober for was not to have the outside stuff although though that's nice i got sober because i was killing myself on a day-to-day basis and i didn't want to die and i wanted to do something with my life i just didn't know what the next act was going to be and like i said in 2009 or like i didn't say but in 2009 i was on tour with my group la coca nostra we hadn't been on tour uh, i hadn't been on any tour in a decade since house of pain i was the only guy sober on that tour I was highly caffeinated. I bought a new camera. And when we got to Tulsa, Oklahoma, I immediately felt at home. I don't know why I felt that way because I had been around the world for years and many places and never felt at home. Mm -hmm. Uh, Something about this place just felt right to me. Uh, It wasn't until the second day we were here that I realized that like an epiphany happened. I was like, oh, my God, my favorite book and movie was written here in Oklahoma and, and mm-hmm. filmed here. And that began my journey looking for the uh, locations. I was able to find the drive-in from the outsiders. 
wow. park from the outsiders and by finding the park i found the house um wow. i put a photo of that house on the internet that day which facebook was a brand new thing my blackberry had a one point nothing megapixel camera which was like ample like you know it just <laughs> it was barely good enough and i also played kane's ballroom and i i was able to take a photo of the hole that sid vicious punched in the wall and mm -hmm. my facebook feed was crazy that whole day people couldn't get enough of those two things but in particular the outsiders mm -hmm. and that began me thinking like why doesn't somebody buy this house why doesn't somebody do something with this house and it took five years of back and forth thinking about this thing I started a hobby after this house. Uh, every, everywhere I went on that tour, I started looking for pop culture uh, locations. I went to Mary Tyler Moore's house. I'm older than you guys, but that was a big show when I was a kid. Sure. My mother loved it, and I loved it. I went to the Grassy Knoll in Dallas. I went yeah. for summer son, son of Sam locations in New York. Yeah, uh, and we do a before and after photo, and then I put the addresses and the and information. You can find that on Facebook under the Delta Bravo Urban Exploration Team. And I say that not to plug a hobby. I, I say it because it changed my life. What right. I started to do, we started getting calls left, right, and center from everybody in Hollywood, starting from Mark Burnett with Shark Tank and Survivor down to your mom and pop production companies wanting to turn this into a show. Wow. I did it with a former NYPD cop who's now LAPD uh, detective. Mm -hmm. You may have seen him in the new documentary on Netflix about the Cecil Hotel. So my boy. Uh, oh, really? I haven't yeah, watched. I haven't watched that one oh, yet. You're She'll watch it tonight. She'll watch oh, you, you're going to you're going to go. Yeah, you're, you're well, gonna it looks it. scary. So, I might need to watch it, it during the day. No, it's a good one. So, you know, and, and I thought that was going to be my next act. You know, I thought I was going to do all this pop culture location stuff. We we're going to turn it into a TV show. And we got courted by all the biggest people. And then slowly but surely, it just didn't turn into something. And the house was kind of the center point of it. I was like, I know where the house is. I know all these Fast Times locations. I know all the classic mm -hmm. Hollywood, like, you know, Marilyn Monroe locations and James mm -hmm. Dean car accident location. You know, I had all of this stuff. And uh, every time I tell the story about Delta Bravo, I kept saying it all started at the outsider's house, you know? And they're like, what's yeah. going on with that house? I'm like, you know what? It's a good question. I always wonder what happened. It was for sale for 42 grand in, uh, in 2009. And I, wow. I, I, I think back of like, why didn't I try to buy that in 2009 for $42,000? <laughs> and so every year I would go back and forth across the U.S., whether it was on tours or road trips or what have you, and I'd always make a beeline for Tulsa. And the more I came to Tulsa, the more I fell in love with it. The more I fell in love with the skyline, the people, Route yep. 66, yep. The, the vintage movie theater here that's uh, 90 years old, the, the Tulsa, Cinema. The Tulsa Driller. The driller, the the, Center of the, the baseball, the, the baseball hockey, uh, BOK Center. It just keeps growing. Right. So it's a beautiful town. And so at year five, I start to think, you know what? They're tearing this whole neighborhood down, and they're a block away from the outsider's house. What's to stop them from tearing it down? And my fear was that year six, I'm coming, mm -hmm. and it's completely gone, and there's a Habitat for Humanities home there. Right. And so that's when I started to get that weird sinking feeling. My intuition was kicking in, and I was like, look, I need to find the owners. We were able to finally find the owners after searching for a couple months. Uh, the lady had inherited it from her husband who passed away. They were using it as a rental property and the tenants were eight months behind in rent and tearing it to shreds. Yeah. My buddy called on my behalf because I don't know how I sound over the phone and I'm not a great businessman. I have a hard time selling dollar bills for 50 cents. So he said, <laughs> ma'am, I know that the house was for sale in a few years back. We understand it's not on the market and we see that it's being torn to shreds. Uh, if you ever had it, uh, you know, in, if you were ever inclined to sell it, we'd love to hear your number because we are potential buyers. And mm -hmm. to which she said, your timing is impeccable. I'm tired of dealing with these tenants. Uh, 
yes, it was for sale for forty two, but I won't take a penny less than twenty thousand dollars in its condition today. Oh my god! Who had never seen the movie, who had never read the book, and who had never been in Tulsa said, "Ma'am, I saw the house. I wouldn't give you a penny more than fifteen grand," which she accepted. Wow. So I ended up buying the outsider's house for fifteen thousand dollars. I, like you guys, thought I stole it at that price uh, <laughs> until I drove from Beverly Hills to Tulsa uh, and then broke in my own house to find that the house that I paid the $5,000 to the, to the tenants who were eight months behind to leave not only took the five grand to move, they left me parting gifts and it looked like a scene out of seven. I mean, it was oh, bad. Oh my God. And all that house needed was a brand new house and it would have been fine. And that's when I thought, you know, you better get humble and ask for help. Cause I don't like to ask for help when you're six foot six and alpha male, you yeah. should kind of know how to like build a house with your bare hands. And I don't know how to change a light bulb with my bare hands. Without <laughs> any assistance, so. so, so Danny, is it, tr- yeah. is it true that two of your investors are Jack White and Billy Idol? Absolutely. But they came in there like 11th hour, which was great too. But originally I bought the house. I put a GoFundMe together and it was just little choose and fuse. You know, we got a thousand dollars. One guy out of the blue, I was shocked. Got a hundred dollars from my buddies, $120 from another guy, $20 from strangers. And we started making money. Essie Hinton gave me a check that year for $10,000. Couldn't believe it. That's That's amazing. Yeah. The next year she gave me uh, 15 grand to which my buddy says, Danny, she likes you 5,000 times better than she does did last year. (laughs) And uh, the following year she gave us another 10,000. So she's, she's in it for $35,000. Jack White, when we were shy of uh, meeting our goal with GoFundMe, he came to town, played the, the 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 driller stadium, and then came by the next day to see the house. He said, I love what you're doing here. I want to see it come to fruition. What's holding you up? I said, Oh, just about thirty grand. He said, What will thirty grand get you? I said, It will get me this, that, and the third. I already had my punch list. So I was on point and concise with what I needed in my message. He said, Danny, it, it, it all sounds right to me. I'm gonna give you thirty grand from last night's show. Mm-hmm. Uh, two wow. minutes later, my phone started buzzing from his accountant saying, Where do you want the check sent? And he, wow. And, Next time, how did you? Did you know, later, Did you have connections with him? No, were your uh-huh. no. He they they wanted to give him an autographed book from S. E. Hinton, so they called me to get it, and I told them, "Listen, I'm not an errand boy. I don't go getting books for anybody." Uh-huh. And I said, "But I did just read that Jack White bought a house in in Tulsa, uh-huh. and that he was a fan of The Outsider. So because of that, and because I do love his music, Got it. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go do that. You know, my attitude with ego kicked up a little bit. I'm like, what am I, a bellboy? Well, Danny, so Danny did you hold did on? You, let me tell you. So okay. I told Desi hit, and I said, I got a, I got a request for you. I got this guy Jack White who's playing, and he's a he's a big musician. She goes, I never heard of him. I said, Well, he heard of you, and he loves your stuff. Uh, well, I love him already. Here, let me give him a book. And so she gave a book, and she gave us an autograph. <laughs> and then I, they asked me to come bring it to him at the at his show. And then when I met him, they brought me backstage, and he jumped right up out of his seat, come right over, give me a big old hug, and he started wow. telling me about House of Pain videos. And I was like, man, this is like a real deal, dude. This was no yeah. pretentious rock star bullshit. Fantastic. And so that's how I met him. So did you find, um, as you were doing this um with the outsider's house um that you were running into people who felt the same way about the book yeah i mean the that's the, the only reason this house gets done is because everybody felt that way i was shocked that nobody did this before me and i thought well if, if there was as many people as i know that there are now where where, where are they because there i thought nobody right. cared about this thing and i was the only fool who loved the outsiders as much as i do once i made an you know announcement that i bought the house and i needed help they came out of the woodwork so it was everywhere and it's still every day i meet people all day long they tell me what a difference this has made for their life the book the movie etc cetera, etc cetera. right um 
I do want to say this. Uh, a couple months later, maybe six months later, Billy Idol came into town. I've been a fan of Billy Idol since Billy Idol was, sure. you know, Billy Idol. I used to have blonde hair in the House of Pain days trying to look yeah. like him. And we used to ride motorcycles a few years back all together in L.A. So when I got there, he said, come on backstage, and I want to talk to you. And he said, you know, how's the house going? I said, the house? How do you know about the house? Because you know how to talk to <laughs> right. him like that. He's like, mate, everybody knows about the house. He said, I heard Jack White gave you some money. He goes, I want to give you some money. I go, you do? He goes, yeah, I want to give you some money. He goes, I don't want to give you Jack White money because I don't got Jack White money, <laughs> but I want to give you some Billy Idol money. And so he gave me a nice little check too, which is if you would have told the 13, 14-year-old kid uh, with this walkman uh, riding the bus to, to junior shit. high school that Billy Idol would, one, know my name, two, give me a check for my pet project, and three, wear the Outsiders House Museum shirt on his concert you know, on stage that night, I, I'd be like, yeah. man, I don't know what you're smoking, you know, because that just wasn't in the cards for a guy like me. So, so this has been miraculous. One day, I, every every week, there's something crazy that happens. And, you know, last week, I found a sign that I've been looking for for 13 years that was seen at the start of the movie at The Outsiders, an old right. neon, just found it. Tomorrow, since this, when is this? This ain't going to be out by tomorrow, so I'm going to uh, tell you. Yeah. Couple weeks, couple weeks. But tomorrow, uh, Greg Brady from the Brady Bunch, uh, uh, Barry, <laughs> yeah. I'm, going to, I'm going to lunch with him at 2.30 here in Tulsa, and then he's coming by the house at 7 o'clock, so I'm going to do wow. an unannounced photo shoot. I mean, my mind is m melting because I'm like, I grew up on the Brady Bunch, and now he's coming to the outsider's house, to, and we're having lunch, right. and it's like, so well, speaking this project of which, has completely changed my life and it, not just in a selfish way or a self-serving right. way, but by watching everybody donate and give and work on that house, cut the lawn, volunteer wow. their services, pieces of their collection. Uh, it, it's changed the way I, I behave. And I see people asking for stuff or asking for help. And my first thing is like, no, there's never enough for me. How can I give to you? Because I come from a fear place. Right. I come from that old New York mentality of like, fuck you. It's like, you know, right. we got our own problems, but I don't, I go against that now. And I just go, let, put your shit aside, help somebody else. And anytime I do that, the benefits are, are tenfold. And, and, and help somebody else. so it's changed my life, man. Sobriety and, and this town and, and this project has changed everything for me. Yeah. Well, look, I, I, like I said, before we were talking before the podcast, I've been to Tulsa. I lived there for a little bit. It's just this weirdly electric place in the yeah. middle of the country that you would never think to necessarily go to it's all flyover country. You would have no idea. You would have no idea. Yeah. And I, mean, I can tell you this and I'm not shitting on OK, OKC, but I wouldn't live it. I wouldn't live it. I, I would didn't like OKC. OKC. There's no I vibe like, there. I like nah. Tulsa. I like the little town, Chickasha and Clinton and like those yeah. Bar Bartlesville, like all those yeah, little Bartles towns. Yeah, Bartlesville is nice. But nothing beats Tulsa. Places. Tulsa has uh, electric magic here. I don't know why or how. I don't even care right. why. It's, it's just here. That's all I know. But, so, Danny, this is all a testament to you, though, because there's something that keeps um, – I, I forget what the term is. It's in one of Malcolm Gladwell's books for like so – you're like a lightning rod. You know, like nobody else was doing this to the house. Yeah. No, it's passion. And I found the tipping point. You know I mean? tip, and, and then people rally around you. I yeah. mean, that seems to be, even with the group, right? If even I'm going to tell you, yes, of course. Together. If I'm going to tell you my two strengths, uh, authenticity and, and passion. And I, 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 it's only in certain areas, but when I, when I get excited about something, I, I, I believe me, I talk to people and I, and they're looking, husband and wife looking at each other like, I don't know what the fuck he's talking about, but just give him a check because if he's that excited about it, I just want to be a part of it, you know? And so it's, I, and that's what I try to say. So we, we're going back to people's jobs and this, 
I hear a lot of people going, I'm worried about my idea getting stolen. I'm like, dude, give them your idea. They won't be able to do anything with it anyway. Because what entrepreneurs are the only people who are willing to work 60 to 80 hours a week so that we don't have to work 40 hours a week for somebody else. Right. And if you don't do this full time, it ain't for you. Right. There's other people who have stuff. They have ideas. They want to do it then. Like, what's stopping you? Because yeah. I work this thing around the clock. I'm never off the clock. I'm right. constantly searching for stuff. I'm constantly looking for stuff. I'm right. constantly digging out new connections, finding people who are connected to the movie, preemptively striking and asking them if there's anything in their collection. Did they inherit anything from their mother in the makeup department? Do they know it? It's never ending because I want to leave this world with with the knowledge knowing that I brought the largest collection of outsiders movie memorabilia and book stuff back to where it belongs here in Tulsa, Oklahoma and stored it in the Outsiders House Museum as it is. My dream is to do an Essie Hint Museum when I'm all done because by collecting yeah. the outsider stuff, I've also ended up collecting Tex, which is her other book. Rumblefish. Uh, Rumblefish. Right. I read all those books. Yeah, so I have, I'm looking at Matt Dillon's wardrobe right now hanging on a rack that nobody's seen. From I have everything he wore in Rumblefish except for the leather jacket, the bandana, and the gauntlet. Wow. And, so, and Essie Hinton has the bandana. So I'm going to eventually do that. Uh, I will tell you that Essie Hinton wrote that book at 15 and a half, failing English and getting a deep plus in creative writing. Yes. And by writing that book, it starts a new category. That's the young adult literature category. That is the number one selling category in books today. Right. And it started here from a little girl failing English and got a deep plus in creative writing. So if that ain't a story to champion and celebrate, I don't know what it is. Well, and don't forget they made her use Essie Hinton. Uh, as of her course. initials because they, did, they were afraid if they knew a girl wrote it, no one would buy it. Yeah, no uh, boys were going to read it in seventh right. grade if they thought a girl wrote that book. But sure. I, before we wrap this up, I want to make sure we... So when did you open the museum? And when so is we, it When is it open now? So we opened it officially. We cut the ribbon of August of 19. And then by early February, we were already holding up. We... we we shut down because of the the, the number one uh, guest, I guess, would have been schools because we get a lot of seventh grade uh, schools that are reading the book and they want to come to the house and experience it in 3D. Nice. And as COVID started to become real, there's no, in good faith, nobody could bring students there and put them in large groups. So we had been shut down for, oh, you know, a year and, and change now. We just started opening up for the weekends. We started with one weekend a, a month um, and now we're doing every weekend. It's every week, every week, has gotten more and more people uh, wow. as a state we are open uh, so we we our numbers are really low uh, our vaccination rates are pretty high and uh, people going up and mm -hmm. you know outdoor and sunlight as far as i'm concerned i'm no doctor but i'll tell you what getting out into some fresh air and some sunlight is and and some and 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 is a, is yeah. a good thing and we have a we have a wider the property is big it's a double property giant massive lawn the house is high ceiling it's a hundred year old house and so it's more like a it's not a small house people assume it's a small house when you get there it's not massive but it's an old hundred year old like higher ceiling mm -hmm. you know in the front room of the house and so it, we're open on the weekends and then we do private tours monday through friday and the schools are coming back now and we're getting ready to launch a virtual tour we actually have the virtual tour ready to launch uh and we're doing smaller little beta testing of schools you know mm -hmm. for it but uh we're we're looking forward to it, the day where we can be open, you know, at least five days. All time, week. right? And, and what, what kind of support have you received from the cast? Yeah, I was going to ask that too. So, uh, C. Thomas Howell has been like the number one supporter as far as like he comes and does events, and, and he's been here the most times. I just talked to him yesterday. Mm -hmm. He has a band. He's he's he he picked up the guitar during COVID. 
and is is doing quite well uh, with with a, a musical career that he didn't you know he's starting off he's starting off into the the music world and so we're, we're going to get him here you know i don't want to leak what we're doing but he's going to come back in a few months mm -hmm. and we're going to we're going to show tulsa another side of tommy and we'll do that at the house uh ralph macho is second uh he's been here two or three times as well uh donated cool. his shoes from the film uh he kept those he was kept his, his his converse and uh donated that to our collection c thomas donated his hoodie that he wore um wow. the author's been plenty of times a lot of the cast members uh uh still Mac have Dylan. not been because they're all big time but definitely rob Lowe came by with his kids while he was filming his show cool uh signed our wall you know took photos with the with the stuff when we were before we were open and i talked to matt Dillon, and matt Dillon expressed uh, interest in coming back it was just a timing thing and then COVID hit so uh right and as far as tom coos i that's I, I don't know how anybody gets a hold of tom yeah and through scientology yeah, Call the well, church, sure. but uh, <laughs> yeah, I uh, definitely. Um, my friend just was at an ASC award, and I think one of the present the main presenter was Diane Lane, and he informed her that not only did they have a right. museum that we had most of her wardrobe, and my buddy who's a cameraman and has been for thirty something years, he came here as a, a student uh, as a guest of SC Hinton's wow. husband in eighty two when they were filming. So she remembered him, and she was shocked to find out that there was a museum. So that was only like a year ago, mm -hmm. right before COVID, like lockdown started and she had never even heard of it we had made national news 10 times over by then so wow. some people tom might not know amelia may not know i don't you know we don't know so right wow but, did they did they shoot a lot of scenes in the house yeah or, and the house is the focal point you know and everything around the house it's all it's all in the same neighborhood so the park right. is like two blocks over the rumble field is two blocks over mm -hmm. the school where they staged all the stuff has been demolished but it's the the property is still there and, and you know the the drive-in is still a mile away uh half a mile away is the circle right. cinema you know wait the, so dri the drive-in still exists oh yeah they're doing wow. the 70th anniversary wow. next month i might come to there. i might come to tulsa to roller skate oh, and to. go to the drive-in oh, so, so is yeah, there like a is there like a i don't know with like the success of like karate kid coming back now not that there would be a follow-up film but is there like some kind of i don't know documentary or other yeah well they announced today that they're, that, that they're restoring the outsiders to i guess it's to 4k or something like that they just right. announced it today because today is francis ford coppola's uh birthday so happy mm -hmm. birthday to francis ford coppola uh there's some talks about a tv show they had a tv show in the 90s and it didn't do so well right. i talked to Susie, and she said they were doing another one because they gave in to all her demands and i guess she had asked for a ton of money and they accepted but right. she said that wasn't the main one she said the two others were that the cast were age appropriate meaning that they weren't 21 year olds playing 12 year olds and that right. they film it in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And what I right. what I was also told that it was not a follow up to The Outsider. It was a prequel. It's before right. the parents die a tragic death and what that life was like. That's ah. rad. So that's super rad. So and then COVID hit. And then there was also uh, a musical that was launched, which is a complete reimagination of The Outsiders. Wow. Uh, and it made it to Chicago to the last stop before you go to Broadway. And then COVID hit, so they canceled the the, oh. the grand premiere. Yep. So. I'm sure that they're going to be back on track soon, but I don't know how do you how do you recast that after a year and a half of off? Some right. of those people change, maybe one yeah. new job. Who knows? So wait, so so have you talked to any of the actors that played the Soches, like Leaf? Yeah, I talked to Randy. Uh, Randy Anderson would have been Darren Dalton. He was the first guy I ever met from the movie. He came on and did my podcast, 
and he had Susie Hinton call in while we were doing what we're doing right now six years ago when we first, like I said, the Delta Bravo thing we were doing was becoming a big thing. So we did a podcast in LA that was broadcast out on the internet. And then it was a call in thing on a local TV program. And I brought in all my favorite people. So I brought in, you know, Robert Romanus from Fast Times at Ridgemount High and uh, Deborah Foreman from Valley Girl. Wow. Patsy Ramos from the Warriors and Darren Dalton from the Outsiders. And we would just talk about locations and filming and all, all everything in between. And, uh, he was the first guy I ever told that I bought the house. And I told him, whatever you do, don't say anything because I don't want it to. And so I called Susie the next day and I said, listen, I, I got something to talk to you about. She goes, yeah, I know you bought the house. And I said, no, <laughs> fucker, never trust a social. That That's great. Oh my yeah. God. All right. So well, it's been life changing. And you know, I guess to, to really summarize all of this stuff is, is that like, None of this probably makes sense to anybody because it doesn't make sense to me. But what does make sense is, is that you just never know. I get that there's amount of planning and, 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 and budgeting and all that. People always ask me here, like, why did you buy the house? How come somebody local did? And I said, because they were probably smarter than me. Like I looked at a house and I was only looking from passion and I was only looking from like my heart. And I saw, uh, 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 I didn't know what it was going to cost, how, how long it was going to take to fix, right. and if it would even be fruitful. I did not care. So I was a fool, okay? But right. sometimes you have to start with no money and no real plan, or it doesn't get done. And that's not case study. Like, you should, that's not like a, I wouldn't tell, like, kids, that, but some kids need to hear that because they, if, if you waited for my plan and me to get the proper money, it would have been demolished by now. Right. right? So, so it's like a little bit of planning, a little and bit go of against all of the fucking shit that you were right. taught and follow your heart. And I go back to my mother's silly, you know, do what you love and the money will follow or follow your heart. And it just works and it works out. I'm not yeah. rich, but I'm overpaid already because I meet people like you. I meet people at the house. I'm going to meet Greg Brady again tomorrow. You Greg know, Brady. Like, <laughs> I mean, all kinds of, you know, Barry Williams, whatever. Barry Williams. <laughs> I get to meet people from all walks of life and all they do is thank me. I'm like, don't thank me. Like you, you guys are making, you know, it's like mutual. Like right. we're all fans are just for the right thing. So gratitude. It's that gratitude, gratitude list dude. every day. Well, you so know, I'm overpaid and I make enough to pay my bills and I never want for anything. I don't want for coffee, clean water, uh, safe environment to rest my head. I have no warrants for my arrest. I have all my teeth. <laughs> I love restored. that you throw that in new, there. New teeth. Like, dude, I mean, I really, right. I can find things to moan about, but really, who would listen? Uh, right. Listen, uh, I, I do what I love for a living, and I'm overpaid. And so if there's anybody out there like, dude, uh, I, don't, well, I don't have that kind of money. I don't have, dude, neither did I. I right. took everything I had in my life savings, and I rolled the dice at the time. I was $20,000 into it. I had twenty eight grand in my name. So I had eight grand left with no foreseeable work in my future. I was told from Everlast, we're never doing House of Pain again. We end up doing House of Pain again. Now I'm told again, we'll never do it again. And that's fine. (laughs) I don't ever want to do it again. But at that time, I did want to do it. And it was the only source of money. I was trying to, you know. Right. So, but I knew I couldn't imagine this world without that house. And that was more important than my $20,000. And even if it bankrupted me, so be it. Well, interestingly, I was trying to come up with a name for this show. And I was thinking about the fact that your career started with House of Pain, and now it's another house. House. Ah. And I, I, I couldn't come up with a creative name with the House of Pain. Yeah. yeah. Well, because I was, I was like rebuilding, <laughs> rebuilding a home from a House of Pain. Like I was coming yeah. up with all these right. things, but I actually just ended up settling on Stay Gold, Danny Boy. Uh, <laughs> you know. Right. And, 
And I got to be honest, if, if, an, if a movie or a documentary or a TV show comes out of this, you got to put your own music wheels back into, into the spin because I feel like Listen. the kind of the rap and the kind of just the, the, the feeling of that music would fit so perfectly with yeah. this. My, 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 my guilty, my secret for a long time was that I was a musician. I was never a musician. I'm a creative director. And it took a long time for me to not only figure that out, but know what the words right. were for that and be okay with that. Cause people are like, man, I grew up with you. You're my favorite, one of my favorites. I'm like, dude, I could barely fucking rap. I rapped at a time when white kids couldn't rap in a predominantly black sport. And still that way, uh, I found someone who was great at it, but I was the guy who could build out all of the other stuff that was needed. Right. And in the past, you said to rely on the record company to do that. We didn't need the record company to do that. We came with our vision 360. And so that's what, in this world now, you have to be 360. These artists find out the hard way that there's nobody there at the label that's even capable. So if you don't, if you're an artist and you don't do the whole, but at 52, you think I, you think I want to rhyme? You trust me, my man. I, I want to, I, I like, I'm in you bed don't know by if, nine. No, right, I'm no time. I'll find, I'll do it. I'll do it. Right. No you time. No time for the rhyme. All right. So before we go, let us ask you the worst H HR question ever. And that yeah. is where do you see yourself in five years? I see myself in five years still here doing what I love to do. I, I, I think that this thing has room for unlimited um, expansion. And what I mean by that is the museum is static. It's stuck here on that corner, and it is where it's supposed to be forever. We've saved that. I've put the largest collection. I've amassed the largest collection in the world of outsider stuff there. But by collecting the way I do, you find people, hey, I don't have any outsider stuff, but I have Rumblefish stuff, and I want to sell it to you because I know it'll right. be in good hands. So my collection is now growing of all things S.C. Hinton. Like I said, I'm going to make it – God willing and Danny working hard enough, we'll, we'll, I'll find a way to get a museum here. Mm -hmm. But I find myself, there's a need here for me because there's nobody who, there's people who love her and her legacy and all of the stuff that's in that world as much as me, but mm -hmm. they're not going to dedicate their life to seeing it happen. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm saying. There's other museums in this town who want a piece of the collection and I will e easily give them, okay, pop, it's a $40 million museum that's going up or $22 million museum. And by the time it's done, it may be 40 million. What I'm saying is they're going to probably put an SC Hinton display in their thing. It's not a competitor with me. It's only, it's only a, a, an accoutrement, if you will, when they get their people, send them my way and vice versa. I'll send them your way. But I can, I have the vision to do a proper museum to her. And I think it's imperative that kids from the Midwest come in and see what a girl failing in English and got a D plus in creative mm -hmm. writing Beautiful. was able to achieve in their town, not from New York, not right. from LA, you know what yeah, I mean? Because we can throw a rock but also, but also, also what she inspired in you. Yeah, because, of course. You know, you're the audience for those books, and look at of what course. You've done for and you. I, and I, also for Tulsa. Look at what you know. You're giving a, another thing to do there. You come through there, Route 66. You're in town. You know, your parents are age. Oh, my course. kids are going to get older. Go see this, and 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 it's like, reciprocal. You know, what Tulsa's right. done for me. What I. People thank me for, for doing stuff for Tulsa, and I thank Tulsa for doing for me. It's right. we 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 it's a yin to the yang, man. Anywhere else, this doesn't happen. If this house was in L.A., we wouldn't be talking about this because I would have yeah. yeah. couldn't afford it, and they zoned it against me, and they said I couldn't do it. Right. This thing, they let me do it in a residential neighborhood because it was an upstep from what they had in that neighborhood. You know, right. word. So well, it just worked out. 
Yeah. Well, well, we could talk to you all night, but I, yeah. I think we got to cut it short. This has been incredible. You're a great storyteller and such you an are. inspiring that's story. Good. And that's it, Brianna. It's the 12 steps with the passion that really helps you get to that, 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 that level of success that you're looking for. So thank you for that addition right there. Do you have any social uh, handles? You yeah. Want to just, give us? I mean, just the outsidershouse.com. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, Danny boy. O'Connor. Any boy O'Connor. <laughs> and uh, I just seriously, you know, when I knew that we were going to do the interview, I literally sat um, one day and just played like the YouTube channel of House of Pain 2 and just let the music keep going. And yeah. I, honestly, it just like, it just took me back and it was really awesome. So if anybody's yeah. out there listening, give it a shot and just familiarize yourself. It was a whole, a whole time. And uh, now then go see the house if you can, if you're ever in Tulsa. Yeah. Brianna, what's your what's your handles? Give uh, us Brihas one on Instagram. We're jobsblow.com. We're at jobsblow podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And, and we're now on uh, Pandora, right? If you're yep. listening, wherever you're listening, we're on Pandora. We have a lot of exciting guests coming. Um, please review, like, share, uh, all of that stuff. Reviews, we need reviews, so that would be really awesome. Uh, check out some of our uh, some of our sponsors, uh, Mr. Bing Chili Crisps. Jobs Blow is the discount code. Also an up in arms. Jobs Blow gets you 18, 18% off on those products as well. Two great products, two great guests. I'm Mr. Josh Hyman on all the social. My website, Danny Boy, you're the man. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank Please. you, Danny. All right, we'll catch you next time. All right, guys. You guys. Bye. Pack it up, pack it in. Let me begin. I came to win. Battle me, that's a sin. I won't ever slack up. Punk, you better back up. Try and play the role and you're the whole crew will act up.